This episode of the Commerce Marketer Podcast is brought to you by Bronto Software, the leading email provider to the global internet retailer 1000. For more ideas on how to improve your marketing automation and to take your email to the next level, visit www.bronto.com resources. The life of an entrepreneur isn't always easy. It can be filled with highs and lows, often changing from day to day. In today's episode, I'm speaking with a group of entrepreneurs who lived that entrepreneurial journey and found ways to turn their challenges into sweet success. Welcome to the Commerce Marketer Podcast. I'm your host, Greg Zakowitz. And in today's episode, I welcome to the show the founders and owners of Sweet Pete's Candy, Pete and Allison Berenger. Welcome to the show, Pete and Allison. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us. Hi. All right. So you guys are down in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, how's the weather today? Good? It's a little rainy, overcast. Not too hot, though. Yikes. Rainy and overcast. So for those that don't know your story, could you guys give the audience a little background about yourselves and who Sweet Pete's Candy is? Well, um, I'm, my name is Pete. I've been a candy maker for most of my life. I grew up in the business. Uh, my mother started a chocolate store here in the Jacksonville area. Over time, we grew that business to 30 stores, actually 30 plus stores. We had franchise stores and company stores. Um, I've, I just come from the candy world and, and the chocolate world, and I've, and I've been doing it a long, long time. So we had this a family business uh, for a number of years. I uh, learned how to do just about everything candy and chocolate related in that business over time. Uh, we ended up leaving the business because of when the market crashed, uh, the real estate market here in Florida was hit particularly hard. It's just sort of bled into a lot of other things, uh, including retail. And we were hit particularly hard. So we left the business. We had to bring on investors. Didn't really work out that well for us. So we ended up having to leave. And, and we just started something new. Decided to start a different candy concept, and that, which ultimately became Sweet Pete's. And uh, Sweet Pete's, if you haven't heard... I, I would describe it as sort of an interactive, uh, large candy store with a lot going on. You can see production. You can take a class about candy. We do classes, parties, and field trips. So we bring people into the candy-making experience, and I would say that's how it makes us different. Very cool. So some people may know the name Sweet Beats from the CNBC show, The Profit. And I'm not going to spend the episode today talking about The Profit and the show. They can go back and watch it themselves, but I think many people recognize it from there. But from that show, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, there are a lot of challenges that you both face that I think a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners have certainly faced at some point or will face at some point moving forward. For example, you guys were wearing almost every hat in the entire business. You were you know, working ungodly hours. You were under-equipped from a production standpoint. And then like good entrepreneurs do, you guys were putting money back into the business so looking back at your early, early days to where you are now, and I'm definitely going to get into some of those, uh, those experiential things you just talked about, Pete. What would you guys say were some of the biggest lessons you learned from a business standpoint, looking back at it from where you sit today? I think for me, being more open to change kind of came with maturity in business versus even early days at our first company where you know, just being married to an idea because we wanted it to work. And as you become more experienced, growing into understanding that, you know, if something's not working, you got you to gotta change it. You got to be re- willing to adapt pretty quickly. Anything to add there, Pete? Yeah, I think that's an important one uh, for me as well. Willing to innovate and just coming up with ways to you know, find things and try new things until something works. One of the first things we did that really 
I would say put us on the map was when we started doing these classes and uh, we started just getting a lot of traction that way. And that was important for us because we were in an area that I would describe as a non-traditional retail environment. So we really had to build our own traffic and come up with innovative ways to make that work. Otherwise, you know, we weren't just going to get people walking down the street and coming into our business. So we really had to try different things. You guys had put your trust, and just the premise of the show, but you guys had really put your trust into someone else. And you had done that before with your previous partner. And then when Marcus came in, it's the same thing. You're still putting your trust in other people to do other things. And you obviously have a much bigger staff now than you did before. So you have a store that opened up in Chicago, if I'm not mistaken, with a candy maker out there. And I think that's one of the challenges with a lot of companies and people who are growing their teams and their businesses face with hey, I'm, I'm going to hire someone. I think they're a good person to hire, but then you have to kind of let go. It's like letting go of your baby a little bit. Did you guys find it harder to, for lack of a better term, trust new employees coming in? Or do you feel that you had a better sense of, you know, maybe questions to ask the person or how to hire a little bit better? Is there anything you guys learned from that experience? Are you talking about just letting go and, and turning things over to employees, tasks that you would have done previously? Yeah, exactly. Was that hard for you guys? I don't know. I don't think we've ever struggled with that, honestly. I don't, I don't. I mean, I think we were pretty good at training people and, and getting people to see our vision and 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 what our expectations are. I, I can see how that could be a very common problem in small businesses, um, especially when you get to an area where you're sort of taking the next step. Um, a lot of people I can see could get hung up on that, but I don't know if that was really one of our problems. Would you say? I think we're we at least for me. And Pete really manages people directly in the kitchen. So, you know, I'm kind of overseeing retail and marketing and the execution of a lot of the classes. And, and I see just a sort of constant cycle with us and employees where it's like we get great employees. They love the business. They love the creative side of the business. We want to give them autonomy to feel like they're empowered to make some decisions and they can enjoy the creative side of the business. Inevitably, they'd make decisions we wouldn't make or they go too far. And then we have to struggle with reeling them back in and taking some of that autonomy away. Um, and that's just a constant cycle I feel like we're in with employees trying to strike that balance between needing to control things and needing things to be a certain way and allowing people to have some creativity and, and say in the business so that they also love coming to work. Absolutely. And you, you touch on something else and I want to jump into here in just a minute. And that is the experiential stuff, the classes and all those things, because you guys obviously have a whole bevy of them. Before we kind of move into that, so I was watching the the episode of The Profit last week, and there was a line in that episode which I, I almost fell on the floor laughing because you guys were listing contributions. And Pete, you had said, if I had to list all the contributions, it would look like the phone book. <laughs> so thanks for the entertainment there. Well, it was true. It's true. And, and I think anybody who's got a – you're starting a small business, like you said earlier – you're doing all these different things and you're wearing all these different hats. And, and beyond that, it's just the hour after hour, just it's a grind getting it off the ground. And um, we're all sort of pulling in one direction and getting it going. And then you've got a partner who's just kind of wanting to kick back and sort of not or sort of take resources out of the business while we're trying to preserve it and, and uh, plow money that we're making back into the business to build it. You know, it gets very frustrating, but I think anybody who's really worked to get something off the ground, I mean, you're, you're doing all these different tasks and it's, uh, 
it's just how it is. Was there a point in time where you guys would go home at night or wake up in the morning and you'd be talking where you just wanted to throw the towel in? Did you did you guys seriously think about, you know, just kind of quitting and either not quitting, but, you know, leaving and then starting something new or just being like, hey, you know what? It was a good run. It was a good shot. Let's do something else. Was, was Did you guys ever get to like that linchpin moment? I, we did get to a point where it was just financially, you know, personally, it was killing us and we were working all the time and we couldn't afford to take care of our, you know, do things for our child that we wanted to do. And, and I remember saying to people like, this is, this is crazy. I'm, I'm going to go and get a regular job. You run the business and just let me get a regular job. This is, this doesn't have to be this way. And then he was kind of like, well, if, if you go, then it's over, it's done because it takes both of us doing different things to make it work. And we kind of talked me out of it. And ultimately he was right, but I was certainly ready to get back to some normalcy. You touched on something else in a couple minutes ago, and I'm going to circle back to that now. I think this is one of the the big trends of consumer and retail experiences now, whether it's candy, it's clothing, kind of whatever it is. You know, we talk about these experiential stores and these experiential moments. So you guys are in a, a really good business to create fun experiences, right? Candy's fun. Absolutely. I want to talk about the customer experience a little bit. So uh, right now you guys have a lot for customers. Do you guys, I'm looking at, you know, the website's showing Tyler classes, craft soda and candy pairing, gummy making, which is right up my alley, uh, taffy classes, chocolate pizza classes. And that's not the complete list here. Walk me through, if you guys will, the evolution of the types of experiences you offer, because Back in the day, that was one of your ways to grow the business and to get uh, notoriety for you. And, and Pete, you had mentioned you guys were kind of in this, let's say, isolated area, but kind of desolate area from a foot traffic standpoint and just walking by and checking you out. So it was a way to create notoriety, but you guys have certainly taken that and exploded that and pushed a lot of different directions. At what point did that evolution start to occur and say, hey, you know what, why don't we do something with gummies? Why don't we do chocolate pizza classes? Can you guys walk me through that evolution of going from the candy baking class to all these kind of spin-off and niche type classes? Sure. So in our early days at the company Pete's family owned before, we had franchised that company and a franchisee started doing small birthday parties. So that's kind of where it started. When we did Sweet Pete's, we went ahead and added a, a full party room and you know, brought in other types of parties. And then we went, you know, Pete had learned how to make candy canes. So then we decided to do the candy canes and make candy canes for your classes. I mean, for your uh, family and friends. And my mother was a teacher and she started to talk about field trips and how, if we tie the science into it. So we really started to focus on creating a couple different classes that had, you know, vocabulary, science criteria, curriculum by grade, and then we started seeing that we were filling up our days. I mean, even now, I think we see about 150 kids every weekday uh, most of the year. And that's kind of where we really started to see it coming together. And then Pete really kind of takes the lead from there. So it, we just slowly introduced uh, – it was we did chocolate pizza and card candy. Then we started to do some pairings. And then we did truffles and then cherry cordials. And then it just got to where it was like, hey, Pete, every, every year you have to launch a new class. And, you know, if it's not a huge success, it'll be a limited time offering. And if it is, it'll 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 stay on the map. And so Pete could probably talk about how he comes up with the classes. Well, yeah, Pete, are you are you sitting there like surfing Pinterest boards and stuff to try to figure out classes or how, how you get uh, that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I look at um, – 
Well, you know, the first thing that really put us on the map was the candy cane pulls because that was sort of a transformational time in our business because that's when those the field trips really took off for us. So from there, we tried to come up with other content that could fill the year with different things. The next thing we did after our, our candy cane classes, the, the next thing that really caught on was we did a group on uh, that was tied to gummy making like a, you can make a make your own gummy class and so that was another big one and 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 we did this on groupon and we got a lot of hits on it we had a lot of response um it was helpful for us because when you're doing something like a groupon you don't want it's hard to to make your margins work because you're giving half of it away sure but the classes gave us an opportunity to it, it sort of had a different uh much more favorable margins so we could work within that framework and it worked really well. And so we, we, we did, and then after the gummy, we did, we did a bubble gum class. And so we're just always coming up with content, you know, trying to come up with something new that people would want to do. And as a family activity. So with a family activity, you guys have a toddler class on your website, which I think is a great idea. Uh, I think a lot of them are great ideas, but I, I was drawn to this and I'm like, Oh, and I started reading the description of it and I kind of, Describe it like a mix between Jimboree, if you guys know what Jimboree is, uh, story time and, and candy all in one shot. Yes. How'd you come up with the idea for that? Because you guys have characters that show up sometimes. How did you piece all those things together? Were, were you taking your kid to Jimboree and be like, oh, you know, we should do this with, with candy? Getting a lot of requests with people bringing toddlers to our classes, it, it, you know, that's not a great fit because it's, you know, you're, it's, it's just above their focus and skill level. Mm-hmm. So with enough requests, then we started just kind of doing a, a little t- story time and a very basic candy. And then it just became very popular. And then, and then we noticed was well, a lot of repeat customers, you know, they, they come a couple, three, four times a year. So we started rotating the books that we use. And then it was only, I think probably in the last eight months, we found a company who, has a lot of characters, these characters where you can rent the costumes. And we also opened a toy store in our store where we sold these books. And so it, it just sort of uh, has evolved into having a regular to- toy uh, toddler time and then periodically doing the, the uh, character, you know, and it's people love it. When Curious George came, it was, it was great. People, kids really loved it. Oh, I'm sure I know my kids would go crazy over that stuff. So they go crazy over candy bars to begin with, throw some characters in there, and it's game over for them. <laughs> you guys are like confectionery conquistadors. You guys are, are rocking and rolling. You're making all these different things, and you're doing these classes. Have you guys ever had a candy fail? You know, you're like, hey, you know what? Maybe we should create a candy that is caramel with this and this, and then you actually go ahead and you start doing it, and you get this final product, and you just throw it right into the trash. Can you guys think of anything fun that maybe you had this great concept for something and it just never panned out? Uh, yeah, I made a product one time called sugar rabies. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's like a hot and uh candy that burns your mouth and makes you foam at the mouth. <laughs> that didn't take off, huh? No, I mean, I think we should pull it back out just to, I mean, I think people could kind of test it and see if they can tolerate it. I tell you what, man, I, I, I like the name of it. I think it's, it's a really cool name. That's to <laughs> me, I look at that. I, that I scream like Halloween. Like that seems like a Halloween type candy to me. Yeah. You guys now have opened, Allison, you mentioned a toy store in there. Um, you guys also have the candy apple cafe, which serves food. It serves drink, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic. 
I was looking at though, the cafe is independently owned, which kind of piqued my interest a little bit because looking at your business story of working with partners before where it didn't work out that well, but when you're, you have this operation inside of an operation and now you guys are, are in a better footing and things like that, I could imagine that creates a lot of complexity. So you've got to find the right partner. You've got to make sure terms are right. You've got to make sure everyone's keeping up with their, their SLAs here. What was the genesis for deciding to bring food and drinks, especially alcoholic drinks, into the location? Was it, you know, was it customer feedback? Was it something else that drove the decision? Can you explain to the audience a little bit about you know, how that came to be? Well, our store is a massive space. The the building is 23,000 square feet, three floors, um, just a lot going on. It's an old historic building. There's an area, there's a area that was a restaurant and has been a restaurant for many, many years. It's an old club, I guess you could say. It's a place where attorneys and city leaders were members of and and um it just sort of went away about 20 years ago. I'm not sure why, but and then for the last 10 years, it was vacant. So we felt like we needed to have some other entertainment in the building because a lot of what we did in the old place was uh, with the parties and the classes and the different functions, food was necessary at a lot of times where people would bring it in from elsewhere. And so having this big space, it made sense to have some type of food in this in the space that, you know, it just it sort of tied it all together, and so we're not restaurateurs by any means. So we wanted to find somebody who we felt could deliver a good experience and kind of play off of what we were doing, and and so that's how that worked out. That was my next question: Why not just take that in house and and open the restaurant yourself? But you explained that just not in your forte. Was it a, a tough experience trying to find someone with the right fit, the right personality, the right business structure, the right concept for everything. Was that a challenge for you guys? Honestly, it was a tougher experience. Like once we got in and up and running and it worked out really well, but then, you know, it was the tougher part of the experience was just trying to get them to see our vision and want to work with us, which was a kind of a problem. Yeah, it's an ongoing discussion, right? Because they have their ideas about what works for their restaurant and, and we see the building as the overriding brand. Um, so, you know, it's just, we're not technically partners, but there's a lot of trust and partnership and, and working together in good faith to try to do what's best for both businesses. When you guys get to a point where you have conflicting views on something, it could be minor, it could be major, it could be, you know, middle of the road. When you guys have those conflicting views and you both have good reasons for saying, hey, we don't like it this way or we want to do it this way. And they have a good reason for saying, hey, we want to do it this way. How do you guys resolve that? Is it have you guys gotten to a point with anything, and it could be minor, but where you guys were just deadlocked? And if you were deadlocked, what was the process for resolution? Was it bringing in an independent third person that just kind of sit there and moderate, or did you get just sit in a room, lock a door, and hash it out? <sighs> when we've been deadlocked with them on situations, it's usually not about uh, changing the way we currently do things. It's about doing something new or creating something. And so it really just stunts growth because the conversation sort of stops and we don't do anything. Gotcha. How do you guys go about finding someone to do that? Are you, are you jumping on Craigslist looking for people that want to start a restaurant or expand? Or is there uh, do you guys have like a professional search agency working with you? Community. They have a catering background and a restaurant background and a background 
but they have also owned a small restaurant and a museum and we were introduced to them and it just kind of, we were going to do catering on our third floor. They already have experience with destination type dining. So it just was a pretty good fit. Very cool. I'm assuming the cafe, and I know it would for me, but I'm assuming the cafe has expanded your reach from a adult standpoint, right? You guys have adult parties, you have business events and things like that at your location as well. Do you guys now find that people stop in, say for happy hour, right? They get off work on a Thursday and they come by just to get a couple of drinks and not really make the candy part of the experience. And I'm sure that adds to it, but do you guys find people just stopping by for drinks now? Yeah, we definitely have that. Um, and we have people who now stay for hours, whether they're just on a date or with meeting girlfriends or they have their families with them because there's there's so much to do in our building between the ice cream parlor, the fine chocolates. Now we just offer quick tours so you don't have to take a whole class, You know, getting cocktails, eating dinner. So it's just not uncommon to see someone in our building and then three and a half hours later, they're still there. And, and I think for Pete and I, People can tend to go very kid-like with candy, and we've always sort of, with our brand, wanted it to be we, – we like to say it's, it's whimsical. It's not juvenile. So kids can enjoy it, but it's not Chuck E. Cheese, you know? Um, and so we – having the restaurant with cocktails helped us create that environment. That's awesome. Have you guys had any famous guests come in and visit? Well, the governor of Florida has been here and did a tour. I, we took him on a private tour of the building, which was cool. Um, and, and we've had Marcus Lemonis, yes. <laughs> I, I'm not going to ask about political affiliation, but did you give the governor candy rabies or did he give him something better? I always give everybody the best, my best uh, when they come in, no matter what political <laughs> affiliation they have. There you go. You're a good politician, Pete. <laughs> What's the one thing that was most challenging that maybe surprised you when you went into business? Maybe you didn't expect it to be as challenging as it was. And you probably had a little bit of a, a clearer mindset going in because your family owned a business prior, Pete. But was there something for both of you that you're like, where did this come from? I did not expect this to be such a big challenge. You mean getting it off the ground? Yeah, I mean, uh, through the entire life cycle. So it could be early on. Or um, I think it's, I, I grew up in that environment and was very young, but was around when my mother was getting her business off the ground. And so I don't know, I, I think I just knew what it took. I just, just having been in that world, kind of nothing was really a surprise, but surprises you is just when you sit back and you look at, at how much you actually put into it to, to get it going. I mean, people who have never done it, I think they'd really be shocked to, you, you really give up everything for a while until you get to where you want to be. You know, we went for, for a few years without just, just sort of hunkering down and building a, a business and everything in our lives was oriented around it. How about you, Allison? Yeah, we, we were lucky because we did it together. I think you just sacrifice so much and you look at your neighbors and other people and even now when you're a business owner it's just a different kind of normal like i, I can't even wrap my head around i respect it i just people who like they get paid vacations and they they don't work and they come home at five or six and they don't work until the next morning i love it because the highs are so high and it's so rewarding when you have a year over year that's up and you're able to give bonuses to employees that worked hard and, and it, it bring in new lines and it's so fun i mean but 
the lows are so low when you're not making payroll and you're not sure how you're going to keep the doors open and you're laying people off. And I think over a life cycle of a business, you have both of those throughout, but we're lucky because we're in it together. So it must be really even more challenging. I think when one person is doing all that and the other person from home, who's not as involved in it is trying to be supportive, but you know, if you're not in it, if you don't really get it, you, you can't get it. Whereas for us, we're working on the time, all of those things, but it still involves our family because we're all doing it together. I think that's a great point, Allison, where, and you tend to see it a lot that if, like you said, if there's one person doing the other ones at home or working or whatever, they're just not in that business. There's always that easy armchair quarterbacking going on. There's a second guessing, well, why don't you do this over this, right? But hindsight's always twenty twenty on those things. I think this is a really good point because I think a lot of business owners don't have the luxury of, of being in it with someone who is obviously so close to them. Uh, I, I love that point you made. I think it's great. From a aspiring entrepreneur or business owner standpoint, for either someone who's just starting out or is planning on starting out or maybe going through um, a growth cycle and they get to some sort of, you know, for lack of a better term, gut check time, what advice would you give them? Because you guys have obviously been to that gut check time before. What advice would you give them? Is it plow through? Is it to look for external help? Is it something else altogether? What would you guys say to that? It depends on your situation, really. It depends. It's hard to it'd be different for different people, I suppose. And I've learned this a little bit from working with Marcus. Try to take your emotion out of it. You know, when you're a small business owner and when you're looking at it in that moment, all you're seeing is like, it's all, it could all be gone, right? You could lose your livelihood, your, the embarrassment associated with having to close your business, just all of it. But if you can pull back and just completely take the emotion and all of those thoughts out of it, then it will become clear and you can see all these options and opportunities that it's, it's not an either make it or don't break it or hunker down or not. It's here's one option. Here's another, here's another, here's another. There's all these, there's tons of choices that can be made to, to, slowly work through it. Very cool. And looking ahead 10 years, where do you guys see Sweet Pete? So do you you have, obviously, your, your corner store location there in Jacksonville, Florida. You guys open up a, uh, an Illinois store in Chicago. You know, do you guys see yourself in a franchise model? Do you see yourself with just a couple locations, where do you guys see yourself moving forward? I, you know, I would see just a couple of large locations like we have in Jacksonville. That's kind of what I would like to see that um, are, are just are, are part of the community, and it's just sort of a, a, a part of the fabric of the community, and and um, just doing things that people like, and you know, connecting with people and and creating a brand that way. Um, being part of people's memories and part of their uh, different occasions. We would love to have you guys in Raleigh, Durham. So feel free to uh, kind of shimmy your way up up the coast there a little bit. You know, <laughs> you guys want to stick around for a couple minutes, do a couple fun questions with me? Sure. sure. All right. So this will go for both of you. We'll just go kind of go back and forth here. But uh, what's your favorite type of candy? For me, anything like caramel and chocolate, you can't go wrong. Uh, probably peanut butter and chocolate for me. Okay, so you're right on my you're right on my wife's alley, Allison. I think you're right up my alley, Pete. So okay. How about the most underrated candy? The most underrated candy. Wow, it's so it's hard because there's so many different things. Um, I had a chicken the other day for the first time in about ten years, and they're pretty underrated. I love a chicken stick. There you go. How about it, you're at a store and you're faced with two types of candy: almond joys or mounds. Which one are you going for? 
Oh, Almond Joy. Same. Almond Joy, definitely. I'm right here with you. My wife, I think, would take the mounds. Shocking. <laughs> wow. Red licorice or black? Ooh, red. Black. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> For Halloween, are you guys handing out bag candy or are you, you handing out the candy you guys make? It differs year to year. If I can get my act together, we'll hand out some good stuff. But if not, we'll just hand out whatever we buy. <laughs> Do you guys have like a swarm of people just showing up to your house hoping for the good stuff every year? Or are you guys at the store? Oh, no. We're, we usually have trick-or-treaters. Yeah, for sure. we, we, we do. Of them. I would imagine myself as a kid being like, oh, they own the candy shop. I am heading there, right? It's the people that give out the big candy bars. You're always, <laughs> you're always there. Well, they don't necessarily know where we live, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to give you seven types of candy, just a thumbs up or thumbs down based on not the name brand of it, but by the the concept of the candy creation alone. So let me know if it's a thumbs down, up or thumbs down. Snickers. Up. Oh, up, yeah. Uh, Three Musketeers. Up. Down. Charleston Chew. Up. Down. Butterfinger. Up. up. Good and Plenty. Up. Mm, down. Necco Wafers. Up. Down. <laughs> and Circus Peanuts. Up. Up. Uh, Pete, did you say down to anything? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last one for you, uh, and this is a raging debate on the podcast here. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Ooh, I would say no. Yes, it's uh, it's between two a bun, so it makes it a, a sandwich. Awesome. This goes back and forth. It's awesome. Uh, Pete Allison, any questions for me today? No, I don't. <laughs> I can't think of anything. Every now and then I get one, and they just throw stuff back at me, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> so, guys, we'll have info in the podcast description about how to contact you, locations, you know, website, everything like that. But if someone does want to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Uh, SweetPeatsCandy.com, and that info at SweetPeatsCandy comes directly to us. Awesome. Pete and Allison Berenger, everyone, owners of Sweet Beats Candy. Be sure to visit them in person, online at sweetbeatscandy.com, as Allison just mentioned there. Thank you both very much for your time today. I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. I appreciate you guys making the time for me. And thank you, everyone, for listening, including our listener of the week, Jessalyn from Ann Arbor, Michigan. If you want to be the listener of the week, let me know you're tuned in. And if you're interested in telling your e-commerce or entrepreneurial story, I'd love to hear from you as well. Hope everyone enjoyed the episode. Until next time, have a great day and be kind to one another. 